feel like a lot of my research on this one, it's like a mile wide and an inch deep. Oh. Because there's just so many people in this movie. Right. That are real people. And I yeah. I didn't want to make this a three and a half hour episode. <laughs> no, and as like as we kind of said, like, hey, you take care of the James gang stuff. And or just yeah. James and the gang itself, and I'll take the rest. And I'm doing the research. I'm like, oh wait, there's not much left. Yeah, that, that's another thing is like even though there are a ton of people here, it's one of those things where, again, most of these people are only known for their association with Jesse James and the James gang. Right, right. And I, I tried to like, kind of peek into a few things that maybe you wouldn't be covering. So, yes, we are talking about the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, a 2007, right, film? Yes. Actually, that's what I, that's what I wanted to actually talk about first. The year 2007? <laughs> Is just how good, yeah, how good the year 2007 was for movies. So we've talked about this off air before, but 2007, that was my, my freshman year of high school. And that so that was like kind of the, the first time that I started watching movies, like actively watching versus just passively consuming movies as entertainment whatever was on or pop culture stuff yeah yeah right and so it's it is kind of like a a perfect storm of you know me starting to do this and then you know like meeting you and and sam and cody and like all these people who like had good taste in movies who are recommending me all these good movies and then also 2007 is just a great year that a bunch of really good movies came out and so it was like it was like a jump start for me loving cinema right what what a perfect year to have your eyes open to cinema in general oh yeah as a 15 year old yeah yeah and especially as someone who so i grew up watching a fair amount of westerns and in 2007 we have this movie the assassination of jesse james comes out but also 310 to yuma was a 2007 movie there will be blood is 2007 no country for old men is 2007 so it's like a powerhouse year for like really good westerns and neo westerns in 2007. Yeah. And then also and I just I just made a quick a quick list here of other movies that have come out in 2007 that, you know, people might not all realize came out in the same year. Charlie Wilson's War, which is one that we've talked about on the yep, show. Yep. Gone Baby Gone, which is solid. Another really good movie and another solid Casey Affleck performance. Casey Affleck actually had a really good 2007. <laughs> True. Atonement is 2007. Eastern Promises. The Kite Runner, American Gangster, one of my favorite musicals across the universe, and then, of mm. course, Ratatouille also came out in 2007. <laughs> Ratatouille is that old? That's crazy. Okay, okay. Yeah. No, it's, that is, that is kind of crazy. I mean, yeah, with uh, There Will Be Blood in, in uh, specifically, a lot of people talk about like, oh, man, without a one best picture in any year in the last 10 prior to this, but then it couldn't be uh, No Country the same year kind of thing. Yeah. So and this one, this one is solid. I I had seen Assassination of Jesse James once before, and it is definitely a solid, solid movie. It is a seventy-seven slash seventy-five on Rotten Tomatoes, which to me feels about right. My my short review is that it's a good movie that thinks it's a great movie. <laughs> So there's a few things okay. that don't quite work as well as they should. Honestly, the biggest is why is there a voiceover narration in this movie? It adds zero. It's it's based on a book. Okay. 
Okay. Well, I'm just, I'm just saying that's that's why it's it's okay. it's basically it's a it's the it's a holdover adaptation from the book because the book that's like how it would read from the book. Which I gotcha. I I understand. I I also typically am not a huge fan of narration. Yeah, it probably does make this movie not as good that there's narration. Like I'm obviously a way bigger fan of showing and not telling. Right. But they're showing us at the same time. Everything they're saying in the narration is there on screen. We don't need yeah. the narration. And I think you yeah. probably got to talk about take about twenty minutes off the movie. You take twenty minutes off. You drop the the voiceover, and then I think you get your best picture nomination. I think it was that close. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and it's good. It's good. Yeah, I still don't think it wins. I still don't think it wins, even even if like oh no right because it, because it comes out the same year as No Country for Old Men, and that's one of the best movies of all time. Like I. And this is still one of the last years of five nominees, so that That's, makes it yeah. much tougher, too. But, no, it's solid. And, of course, it did get the two Oscar uh, nominations, uh, Cinematography and Casey Affleck. Which, man, the cinematography in this movie is so good. It's so good. But it's also Roger Deakins. And how much have we talked about Roger Deakins on the podcast? Because I mean, he's, I mean, obviously 1917, but 16, I was just looking, 16 total Oscar nominations for cinematography for Deakins. He's the only cinematographer I can name by name. Yeah. And, and, uh, I actually, have we, have we talked about, I'm sure we have. We said his name. I don't know how much, we, I don't know if we've done a deep dive on Deakins before. Just because we haven't really discussed him before. He is basically like the Michael Jordan of cinematographers. Like he is. Right. Yeah. Or John Williams. Yeah. yeah. Widely recognized as like, he does all of these great movies. You've without a doubt have seen Roger Deakins cinematography in something that you've watched at some point and probably said, wow, this is a really good looking movie. Yeah. The Coen Brothers movie seems to be where he kind of got into more mainstream film. He's been doing it forever. But as far as mm-hmm. movies you've heard of, it kind of started with the Coen brothers. Yeah. But then also like more recently, you know, 1917, which was like very yep. famous for how they shot it. And that was, yeah. that was him. No Country for Old Men that same year we just talked about. Uh, Skyfall, Blade Runner 2049. Like he's, he is kind of the guy. Yeah. And think about like those movies are even problems with those movies notwithstanding. What's like the one thing that everyone says, about, like all the critics say about this movie? Oh, you know, it, it has this problem and this problem, but it looks awesome. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And this and this movie's kind of the same way. Like, you know, oh, it's got the, you know, it's a little too long. You know, it's got the narration that kind of takes away, but it looks great. It looks amazing. Oh, the stuff with the train and smoke and shadow. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I, I have that written down. The train robbery <laughs> sequence at the beginning yes, is yes. one of the coolest sequences. I think in it's I think it's incredibly underrated as like just a scene as a sequence. All time scene. Be- because specifically of the cinematography. Yeah, with the light moving through the trees and all the guys wearing the masks as they like their faces follow as the light turns. You have the train coming down the tracks and then it picks up the camera. Oh, yeah. So it's like it's coming towards yeah. you and then as it reaches the camera, instead of oh, cutting, I it that. just yeah. the camera starts moving with the cattle guard <laughs> on the front of the train. Right. Dude, that's so awesome. Which that's and then that's not easy. And then there's that the the icon like the iconic shot. If you've seen a shot from this movie, it's probably that shot of Jesse James walking down the track, backlit by that giant lantern on the front of the train, and it just, oh my god, it just looks so cool. It's so cool. And of course, yeah, Brad Pitt as Jesse James is kind of perfect. I guess you could argue, is he probably technically a little old for the, the role? Or actually, all these actors are probably a little old for their roles, aren't they? Yeah, they're, they're, all, they're all a little old, because the whole gang was pretty young. But I think, I think Brad Pitt is a good choice. Even though Jesse James wasn't ever described as being like, you know, real handsome like Brad Pitt is, he is described as being very like charismatic and very 
personable and, you know, one of those people that can just kind of command a room and yeah. is infinitely likable. You know, even during a bank robbery afterwards, people would talk about how, oh, yeah, Jesse James, he's so, you know, dashing and charming and stuff. Which which gets into his whole national mystique at the time, which you'll kind of get into here. And, right. uh, and we might even... So the movie itself, and my, my kind of general assessment is that this is a pretty accurate movie. Like, they don't seem yeah. to make any big changes and they there are there are some things here and there that maybe they kind of round some edges off but the bullet points seem pretty accurate and so it, the movie kind of starts with that raid on what was it blue blue cut missouri is kind of this last mm-hmm. it's supposed to be like the last big james gain operation so we're kind of starting at the end of the escapades i guess you would say of the james gang it's actually post heyday so it's right. it's post heyday of the James Gang. Like it's after like they they've already reached their peak and they are now on the decline. Right. It's, yeah. Which it's it's kind of a like all of these all of these things are on the decline at once. So the James Gang has had their heyday, they're on the decline. Jesse James has had, you know, personally has had his heyday. He's on the decline. And then it's also kind of um it's happening at a time where the mystique and the mystery of the Wild West and just the the Wild right. West in general is also that's dying out. Right. You know, the West is being settled. Um, it's being conquered. The railroad is coming through. So it's not, you know, it's not the frontier anymore. Now this is just, you know, it's more just business as usual, everyday life out in the West. Right. Because we are just now 20 years from the 20th century kind of thing. Like we're... Right. Yeah. So the, the, the new century is coming up and and the Old West um, is, is dying. And then the film kind of goes from that to just kind of obviously, I mean, it's in the title, <laughs> The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. That's essentially the climax is when that assassination happens. And so we kind of see most of this is seeing Jesse James through Robert Ford's eyes. Robert Ford is kind of the narrator, so to speak. Well, sorry, he's not the voiceover narrator, which, again, is kind of weird. He's the he's the I guess you got to know he's the protagonist, I guess. Right. He's kind of an anti-hero protagonist. Yeah, but it's I don't know. It's but the the narration is all kind of Jesse James focused. It's it's, he's he's the he's the main character, but I don't think he's necessarily the protagonist. So it's like a great gatsby kind of thing where he's nick he's kind of telling the story and gatsby is jesse james yeah and it's kind of but it's more it's more tragic for the actual like main character point of view character because oh right nick is just observing the gatsby's tragedy versus robert ford has his own tragedy yeah right yeah and it's like this whole the the kind of the the tragic irony of him thinking that you know, the assassination is going to bring him all the, you know, fame and it's going to fortune. Fa- fame, yes, but it ended up being infamy, right? Right, yeah, and it, it ruins his life, and then less than two years later, he gets killed and... Or ten, ten. Or yeah, 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 ten years later. The guy who kills him, it says this is, you know, basically revenge killing for Jesse James, so it's like, he gets killed over it. Yeah, and, 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 the, and the fame was, again, the coward label, like, that's... That's not not just for the book this was based on. Like that goes back to the time where he kind of wasn't expecting yeah. to get called a coward over this. But right. uh, apparently there was a there was a famous song at the time yeah. that was you know said he, you know he was a coward. Was that the one they sing in the film or, or probably something like that? Oh, I don't know. I I I know. There, so where I saw it in the research, it just said a popular song at the time, and it had like a line. I don't 
I don't remember if it's this exact same song from the movie, but that wouldn't surprise me if it was because they do take a lot of care in the movie to be historically accurate. They have a lot of like exact dates and the only stuff, nothing is really embellished. They just kind of like add a little bit of things that are not even historically known anyway, but all the big events are historically accurate. Yes. And so we can kind of actually then let's rewind and why don't you give us the background heading up to this film? Like, just tell us about Jesse James and the James Gang and everything that did happen before this film would have taken place. Yeah, so I'll go through, and I I did little bios on all the big, um, the big players in the movie. Um, so I'll start with Jesse. So Jesse James, he was born on September 5th, 1847 in Clay County, Missouri. And this is actually, I for whatever reason, had forgotten or maybe it just slipped my mind. But this is more Kansas history. I mean, it's mostly mostly Missouri, Missouri but like there is Kansas history in here, too. Right, right. Oh, yeah. Because he so he's born in Clay County, Missouri, which is Western Missouri. His father was a Baptist uh, Baptist minister and his father died when he was young. His mother remarried a couple times and they had eventually they had this a farm with one of his uh, stepfathers. And they had, you know, a few slaves like they were they were not a a super rich family, but like they weren't they weren't struggling. But when the Civil War began, they were very much on the side of the Confederacy. So Jesse's older brother, Frank, who in the movie is played by Sam Shepard, he joins the war on the side of the Confederacy. But Jesse was too young at the time. So Frank goes and fights in the war, comes home and then when Jesse's 16 years old, he and Frank start fighting as uh, what were called bushwhackers, basically guerrilla warriors um, under a guy named Bloody Bill Anderson hmm. doing raids and stuff. He also fought alongside Quantrill's raiders who did the like the raid on Lawrence and stuff. It's, it's that's um, a lot of like like Kansas history during the Civil War. I- I'm sure. I'm sure if if uh, any of our listeners have had a history class in Kansas where they learned about Kansas history, you've probably heard heard of Quantrill's Raiders. So he is in the war fighting as a not with the Confederacy, but as a kind of paramilitary guerrilla warrior on the side of the Confederacy. Hmm. During the war, he is wounded. He's shot through the chest, just like they say in the movie. And he's actually nursed back to health by his first cousin, Zerelda who he falls in love with and eventually marries. <laughs> yeah, you know, 19th century. <laughs> yeah, and in the movie that's uh Mary Louise Parker, I believe, is the is the wife. Okay, she they were they, that that so the character in the movie is supposed to be that cousin he married. I thought it was almost someone that like he married after the kind of after, later in life kind of thing, but So they they didn't get married until 1874, okay. but they their relationship started in 1864. So they okay. basically had a 10-year long courtship okay. and then got married like well into his uh, outlaw days, they were together the whole time. The uh, the movie too again because she calls him like Tom at some point. So I almost even wondered too. Obviously, it's kind of an alias he was probably living under later. But I almost thought too at first in the movie, does this woman even know he's Jesse James or is he just? She does. His kids don't. That's what it was. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and I I think because she well she would have known because she knew him. As Jesse James, but I didn't know that from the film. I didn't know that. From right, the right, film. right, right, right. Yeah, yeah they, they they don't they don't say that in the movie. But she would have known him as Jesse James because well, number one, they were related; they were first cousins. <laughs> okay, right, and number right, two, right, right. she she knew him since 1864 when he was you know 
like in the Civil War, right, j- right? Just a kid, right? Okay, but her kid, they their kids were not born until after he was an outlaw. Okay. So it makes sense that they would not <laughs> that she would talk to, about him not as Jesse James because you don't want your kids running around. So, My dad's Jesse James, you know? Oh, right, because he's famous. He's not just an outlaw. He's famous. Right. He's very well known and super wanted. Yeah, the kids would know who Jesse James is. Yes. And you have to keep it a secret from them that that's actually your dad. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. I feel like the movie kind of yeah. sells that whole dynamic. Okay. And I wish that that was a more explored right. thing. I think right. that would be a really cool story and a really cool dynamic to explore. Is like the family dynamic of, okay, me and my wife both know who I am, but I'm wanted. I can't tell the kids. But yeah. then, like, you know, maybe they're seeing a wanted poster or something or they're hearing, you know, huh. people talk about. Yeah. It would be it'd be very interesting, but again, I can see why that's not. It's yeah, not. Yeah, it's not prudent to the actual story they're trying to tell in this movie. And yeah, it doesn't fit with the tone and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So after the war, um, he basically starts outlawing <laughs> right away. <laughs> he and his brother, although it's not a hundred percent historically confirmed, it's widely believed that he and his brother initially started doing raids and robberies um, with a guy named Archie Clement, who was the head of the Clement gang. And they were doing raids and robberies around Missouri and in Kansas. And basically, n- not only was it financially motivated, but also they really didn't like Reconstruction. And so they were, you know, trying to throw a wrench in that as much as possible. So Jesse and Frank's first big robbery on their own, they had done minor ones before, but their first well-known one was in December of 1896 in Gatlin, Missouri where they robbed a bank, and even though it wasn't big in terms of their haul, they actually didn't get that much money. During the escape, it didn't say which which brother, but one of the brothers was knocked off his horse and got dragged for a little bit, and then, like, got loose from his horse and then hopped on the horse of the other guy, and, like, they both were running away, in, you know, in the hail of gunfire on the same horse, very much like a scene out of a Western movie. And so that story of the robbery and then the daring escape where they both get out unharmed, that kind of, that story launched them into popularity. So then everybody knew, oh, okay, the Jameses are, you know, these really cool hotshot bank robbers. It's kind of like how we talked about that, you know, the one-on-one, you know, 10 paces or the the kind of gunfight in the street was actually pretty darn rare. Yeah. It's kind of like that. It's like these things didn't really happen all that often. We just see them in westerns all the time, but so when they really right. happened back in the day, they became these national stories because they were so uh, yeah interesting. So, like the the bank and stagecoach robberies, those were happening all the time, but not in the crazy like two guys jumping on the same horse dodging bullets type thing. A lot of you know, right? You could right. you could just back in the day you could just walk into it. You know, the the technology was not <laughs> was not awesome. <laughs> you could just walk into a bank if you had enough guys and hold everybody at gunpoint, tie people up, and just take the money. And it was really not a big deal. Right. Very, very transactional. Yeah. Right. Uh, not that that's, that's uh, legal advice. Don't actually rob any banks. Yeah. Unless you're going back <laughs> to the 19th century. I don't know. Even that's dicey. Even that's okay, dicey, legally right. speaking. I, I, my lawyers have advised me that I shouldn't even recommend time traveling. <laughs> yeah. We, we, can't, we can't condone time crime here. <laughs> so word of Jesse and Frank's robberies. Um, and at this time, they were also, they also teamed up with the younger brothers. So not... That's younger with a capital Y. Yeah. Uh, it was a, a group of three brothers, or three or four brothers called, they, their last name was Younger. So news of their robbery spread, and Jesse was becoming known as this very charismatic guy 
who also had uh, a flair for the dramatic. So there was this one example in 1871 where they robbed a bank in town and then went to a political rally that was happening at the same time in the town. And Jesse James rides into the rally and says, hey, we just robbed the bank. You might want to go untie everybody in there. And then they all, the whole gang rides out of town. (laughs) So so, stuff like that, where he's just like, you know, he's not taking it super seriously. And he's like having fun doing it. And it makes people, it makes people really like him. Um, Or at least he's not universally hated. Right, there's there's always that Robin Hood flair to it. It actually wasn't even rumors that he was sharing uh, stakes, stakes or whatever. So, yes. However, a lot of that is actually perpetuated by Jesse James himself. Right, right. Well, it makes sense. He would leave behind press releases at these robberies or and write letters to newspapers to elevate his image. And he wanted to perpetuate this idea that he's this Robin Hood figure of the Wild West. There's no evidence, historically, that he gave money to anybody other than his gang members. Right. So all that stuff about, oh yeah, Jesse James, like, he's, he's you know, uh, Robin Hood, he's stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. That's all, like, Jesse James, it's Jesse James propaganda. Like, right. he would write that stuff about himself, or he would write letters to editors who were sympathetic to his cause because he was explicitly pro-Confederacy, anti-Republican, anti-Reconstruction. You have these newspaper editors in Missouri who are sympathetic to his cause who will just print all this propaganda about him. So the perception of him nationally was split because some people see him as this cold-blooded killer, this, you know, greedy bank robber guy, and other people see him as engaged in this righteous war against the corruption of Reconstruction. So that image, and it also, that image... The opinions of that would have been very split down political lines too. So right, right. I'm kind of getting that vibe. Yeah, all yeah. of your uh, your Republicans, your your abolitionists, your more union sympathetic people would have not liked Jesse James, which is why when he goes to places like Minnesota later on that are not as friendly to you know pro Confederate sentiments, he has more problems. So, like I said before, many many newspapers, particularly the Kansas City Times, with editor John Newman Edwards, portrayed Jesse in a positive light. So, John Newman Edwards was a, he was a Confederate officer, um, and then after the war, was an editor at this newspaper. So, he would print propaganda for Jesse. He would, Jesse would write him letters, press releases, um, and that stuff would get printed. And it it popularized Jesse as this this folk hero in, in Missouri. Right. So the gang kind of started to decline after a botched robbery. Not not necessarily a botched robbery, but more of a botched escape. They ran into serious trouble in 1876 after they robbed the first national bank in Northfield, Minnesota. And from the accounts that I read of it, it sounds a lot like the robbery in the third act of Hell or High Water, where they rob the bank and then the whole town comes and fights against them. So two of their gang members are killed, and then the rest of the gang is kind of scattered to the wind, and they all go into hiding. Because the whole town is basically, like, stands up to the gang and fights them out of town. Well, what's funny is, like, as you're talking, like, all I'm thinking is, like, Jesse James sounds exactly like a Taylor Sheridan character. <laughs> and, like, yeah. it's, it's, I mean, there's got, there's not, it's not a coincidence. I mean, Taylor Sheridan is studying all this same stuff and probably has been inspired by Jesse James and all these kinds of things. Right. And it, it really is, I mean, when you think of the parallels, not to get too off track talking about Hell or High Water, 
but it is a lot like that where it's like these righteous like these guys are justified in in rob you know i'm putting that in air quote justified in in robbing these banks you know these noble anti-hero bank robbers and then at the end of their of their spree they get in a gunfight with all the people in town like yeah the, those parallels certainly exist between jesse james and the hell or high water characters so this is the period that we see in the film so this is post northfield bank robbery and it's at this time that the four brothers join the gang it's also at this time that wood height the jeremy renner character joins the gang because they're basically desperate for desperate for the help i'll go into more detail with the rest of everybody else but just to wrap up jesse james so after that period of time when he goes into hiding there are a couple more robberies but he's mostly trying to stay low profile under the radar and then uh, is killed ultimately by Robert Ford after the events that we see in the movie on April 3rd of 1882. And just like we see in the movie, Jesse James's death, both in the film and in real life, kind of marked the dawn of the new century and the death of the Wild West. Oh, yeah. So Jesse was this larger than life, this larger than life character, kind of in, in pop culture at the time. He was, this, you know, this folk hero. And then with his death, kind of ends this era of the west being a wild and lawless place and this kind of you know untamed wilderness and as the railroad starts to move in and the new century dawns all that is dying what uh what was the date real quick of the actual assassination do you have that handy april 3rd 1882 okay so basically i was just i was just looking so essentially six months after the gunfight at the okay corral if you want to kind of put all that yeah in in context Yep. And think about in Tombstone, there's a, to a lesser extent, but similar, you know, they kind of talk about the the Wild West being conquered. At least that's like Sheriff Behan's whole thing in the movie is like, oh, no, this is a civilized town. You know, we're going to be just as, as sophisticated and connected as San Francisco. And that's true. I mean, a lot of these towns that were, you know, little mining towns or maybe they were, you know, little settlements. They become places like San Francisco, like like Phoenix, like L.A., like all these places out west that were like, you know, outposts on the frontiers of in the wilderness are now all getting connected by the railroad and people are all moving to them for a lot of the, the fertile farmland. And, you know, you really get this shift in American culture where basically the the country's becoming more, I don't know, is homogenous the right word? Uh no yeah probably yeah more more people are settling more people are settling west to where the west isn't just like that extra part of America where like some people are going it's like that's now fully considered you know culturally America right so I didn't really do a deep dive on anybody I, I'll say a little bit on Robert Ford here I, I didn't really do a lot on the I say the childhood of Robert Ford, but again, if he's joining the gang at like 19 years old, that kind of is at the end of his childhood. So yeah, he was someone who was enamored with the you know stories growing up of Jesse James. Now, I couldn't find, they mentioned specifically like R.K. Stevens or whatever. I actually couldn't find those specific stories. And the little little kind of comic book looking, you know, like the, what do they, what do they call those kind of things? Cause they had them about Wired Earp too. And Davy Crockett, like back in the 1800s. Oh, the little, um, little kind of cereals kind of thing. Yeah. They're like little, like, 
the like little uh, like dime store yeah, yeah comic books or novels but they're real short yeah I, I think there is a name f- I, I think there is a specific name for that okay. but yeah it's basically like a little novel or comic book and that's that's actually even though these like Jesse James was popular at the time a lot of the reason that we still know him today is because like during the like the 1950s that stuff became popular like again those old west stories those old west folk right. heroes With the davy crockett stuff we've talked about davy yeah. crockett yeah. wyatt earp jesse james like these those um so a lot of the a lot of the prints that you see of those are actually from the 50s yeah but yeah I, I, yeah i forget the name of what those what those little books are called so the ones he mentions in the film again there's a specific author something stevens i couldn't actually find if you google the name of the author that robert ford gives in the show it pulls up this movie so that's why i'm guessing that that mm. author is fictional um and the peak of those little books actually was like after jesse james's death so obviously there were stories right. circulating before but those sales peaked so that's where maybe they're kind of fibbing with the story a little bit that like these books he was collecting those might have been harder to come by uh until after ford himself ironically kills you know jesse james so that's that's maybe a little bit uh, anachronistic ish yeah i think but- i think in the movie they try to portray robert ford as having this like a fanboy like parasocial relationship a fanboy mm. relationship with jesse james which i think to a certain extent was true but most of what i saw for like his his reason for wanting to join the james gang was more just because he had in general this he was you know enamored and drawn to the outlaw the romanticized view of the outlaw lifestyle not necessarily that he was like wanted to be jesse Jesse james James specifically which is what they which is more of what they show in the movie right almost like uh oh what's that single i think it's called single white female from the 90s where basically like this woman becomes obsessed with the other woman to become like to the point that she tries to become her or like a uh talented mr ripley like exactly yeah like that yeah and the one thing that to me seemed very very odd so in the film they have the assassination kind of come to a head. So uh, Robert Ford and his brother Charlie, played by Sam Rockwell, we can talk about the cast later in this film, which is unreal, uh, by the way. Yeah. They are kind of nervous about Jesse discovering if they've, oh, oh basically the discovery that they killed Wood Height, the Jeremy Renneker character, who's a cousin yeah. of Jesse James's and all these kinds of right. things. And then, so they're kind of with Jesse, but also in fear of Jesse at the same time. They kind of know he's just a bigger man than they are. And in the paper, Jesse reads, and of course, the Ford brothers kind of see it first and are nervous before he even sees it. The headline that another one of their compatriots, Dick Little, had confessed and basically was like naming names. Here's what happened. Here's who was involved. Like, oh, crap, they're going to be able to come after us or know that we betrayed Jesse right. and killed Dick, uh, killed uh, Woodhite and all these kinds of things. Right. Because Robert Ford and Dick Little both were kind of not arrested at the same time, but they both surrendered to the law at the same time for the death of Wood Height, but were given basically like released on the condition that they snitched on on Jesse James. Right. So like so so yeah, it basically becomes, well, shoot, I guess I better kill Jesse before he kills us. Right. But what's bizarre and maybe you can speak to this too, because I thought it said it. Maybe this maybe is supposedly how it even happened. So I thought it seemed odd in the film that they almost make it seem suddenly like a suicide. Like Jesse reads this article, realizes these guys that have been staying with him have betrayed him, 
And now he's going to go choose this moment to set his gun down and turn his back to them and go and dust this picture. It makes it feel like a suicide in the film, which is so bizarre. But I thought I was reading something that said it was kind of equally bizarre, but then we only have the Forge Brothers word to go off of anyway, right? So Right, and so that's that's the whole thing. So it does that's the way that they portray it in the movie, but I think that that's I think they were trying to be kind of ultra faithful to real events and that's how it happened in real life at least as close as we can tell so right because who are the witnesses the four brothers right it's the four brothers and they were the ones that were doing the stage plays after and like you know there's like all the there's a bunch of like famous prints of literally just like we see in the movie standing on a chair going to to dust a picture off and getting shot in the back of the head by robert ford so that is that's that is what actually happened as close as we can tell whether what was going through the mind or what the vibe was in the room we'll never know but that's that's as much as we as we have right right what's uh this, this is a small little thing that i thought was interesting too so you can go the that house is like a museum slash tourist stop today and mm-hmm. they have they actually the, the bullet hole in the wall from the shot that killed jesse james and my first thought when I saw it was like, why? That's a massive hole. And then it says like down below, did you see why? It's like, because people like would just pick at it. Like, I'm going to steal yeah. part of the edge of the hole, part of the edge of the hole. Right. And then the hole gets yeah. bigger and bigger and bigger. To Now it's covered finally. But right. the hole looks like a shotgun blast. Yeah. Because people, for years and years, one splinter at a time, people were taking pieces of the wall. Yeah, yeah. so they could say, I have a piece of the bullet hole from the shot that killed Jesse James. And yeah, Right. I thought that was kind of... That's funny. And then so yes, like it, it it was real that they did reenact it for a couple of years, although it stopped because Charlie did kill himself, as we see in yep. the film, just two yep. years after the assassination of, of Jesse yep. James. And they kind of showed obviously he was dealing with some demons in the movie, but man, real life was almost even worse. So obviously depression. Does the yep. movie movie mention tuberculosis? <laughs> yep. divine, yeah, okay. That is also and, that is also accurate. Yeah, and then uh and then um and then a morphine addiction. So he he was kind of yeah. toast already dead man walking that ultimately killed himself two years after and in addition to all that he was also paranoid that i I guess he he had heard or there was a rumor that that frank james Mm. who was free at the time was hunting him down so in addition to all the drugs and the terminal illness and the the depression you know and just kind of being hated by everyone he comes in contact with because he's one of the cowards that killed Jesse James, he's also paranoid that he himself is going to be hunted down. And yeah, it, he he kills himself less than two years after the murder. And there's kind of even some Booth to Lincoln parallels in the sense that Booth thought he would be a he considered a hero for in, even in, in public sentiment going forward for taking down the tyrant Lincoln. And yeah. so I, I think Ford's kind of thought he would become a hero for taking down the famed outlaw jesse james and right and he gets this whole coward thing associated with him and it's even worse though because with booth at least people who liked lincoln understood or could understand why booth would do it but with robert ford it's worse because it's not like john wilkes booth be- like became friends with abraham lincoln oh true and then shot him in the back of the head in right. cold blood. There's, there's the betrayal you know, involved. Right, right, right. So even people that didn't like Jesse James at all also didn't like Robert Ford because <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, like Jesse James was a cold-blooded murderer 
and and was a bank robber and an outlaw and he should have been brought to justice but like you became friends with the guy just to shoot him in the back of the head like what a little weasel you know right right so the you mentioned the attention to detail and yeah when you look at like say the the killing of wood height like even the injuries are accurate with uh wood getting shot in the arm for and little getting shot in the leg yeah, those are the, even the specific wounds uh, that were, were reported. Yeah, what I did say though that was, I couldn't find any reference to Wood being mad at Little for sleeping with his stepmother or anything like that. What I've read was just it was just about fighting over Ford's sister. Yeah, who is in the show? That, that's where they're staying is with Ford's sister, and it was yeah. kind of just over that. It seemed to me that there wasn't a lot of information on Dick Little, but it seemed like they kind of embellished a lot of him. We really don't know much about him other than like the arrest and the confession and he was part of the gang. So I think a lot of those details of his character seem to be just kind of uh, invented. Yeah. He, I, I do have a little bit about, about him. Well, I, oh, I have ahead. a little bit about yeah. kind of all the, we pretty much covered Charlie Ford. So Dick little, he was like, we see in the movie. He was obviously in the James gang and was doing robberies and stuff with them. His killing of wood height is kind of the beginning of the end for Jesse James, because it's that murder that led to him and Robert Ford surrendering to Sheriff Timberlake. And then Dick Little confessed to everything in, in exchange for amnesty for the Wood Height shooting. And But his capture and confession were kept secret until March of 1882. And then that's when it's reported to the paper, right. which is then the inciting incident for Robert Ford to shoot him. Yeah. After the murder of Jesse James, Dick Little stood trial for another robbery in Alabama, but was also pardoned for that one in exchange for testifying against Frank James. Oh. So he got pardoned, testifies against Frank James, but then Frank James gets acquitted anyway because the jury said, well, you are only testifying against him because you got pardoned, so your testimony isn't believable, so we're going to acquit Frank James anyway. <laughs> yeah, so Frank Frank gets away. And then uh, the only other thing that I had for Dick Little is that he actually owned a bar in New Mexico with Robert Ford in the mid-1880s. Yeah, which I thought that was odd to leave out, yeah. Yeah, and then he was rearrested for Wood Heights murder in 1891, but I don't. he wasn't convicted, and then he ends up, he lives till 1901 when he dies of a heart attack. Yeah, and uh, yeah, finishing up uh, Robert Ford then, yeah, so after, after he's kind of done doing these reenactments with his brother, because his brother kills himself... Uh, he does open that saloon in New Mexico with Dick Little. End up out of town there. I have a note that he was back in Kansas City, where someone actually tried to assassinate him. Then they, they tried. To, it says that a fan of Jesse James tried to slit Robert Ford's throat, and he escaped there. Uh, then he does go to Colorado, which is that's kind of where they jump to in Colorado. They kind of go from the reenactments, yeah, to Colorado, and then he did open a saloon there. But what they leave out of the film, and I kind of get it, it was just for convenience's sake. So like, there's actually a whole row of businesses that were burned down including robert's saloon so when he was was when he was killed uh by edward o'kelly he was actually just still in there temporary basically running a saloon out of a tent right while they were getting ready to rebuild that's accurate to the movie oh does the movie show it as a tent so it shows it it, it doesn't show anything burning down but that is when he's killed it is a tent that the guy's uh, walking into. okay yeah I, and okay i guess that's it's because now it's been a few weeks probably been a month since i've seen it again here i guess it was a tent wasn't it it basically has it's like everything that you would see in the bar like there's a you know the wood floor and even the bar with like the back behind it and everything but then instead of 
wooden walls and a roof. It's a tent around that. Right. So it's like the floor of a bar with a tent over the top of it. So when Kelly comes through, it is more of a flap he comes through than it a door. It is a tent. Yeah. Yep. It's like a canvas canvas okay, tent. Okay. That, okay. That was accurate then. Okay. Yeah. And same thing. Even in the movie, doesn't he say, hello, Bob? And he turns around and... Yep. Shoots him. Yeah. And it says it basically got it in the neck and killed instantly. And I guess the film, it just kind of... We don't see the wound, right? It just kind of cuts, yeah. I don't even think we hear a gunshot. I think he just turns oh, okay. around and it, it cuts to black. Okay. What I read was we don't actually know exactly. We, I mean, the assumption is that it's a you know, Jesse James-related thing, but we technically don't know. It could have been Kelly seeking for fame himself or revenge for something unrelated to anything we're even aware of. Edward O'Kelly, he, after the murder, he, he claimed that it was for avenging jesse james is dead oh okay that's kind of funny just because whatever i read said he never actually said why uh so i don't know oh i i have in my i don't even know where i where i read it but I, that he claimed that he was avenging the death of jesse james okay yeah so again it's it's uh kind of i guess uh we'll have to both check our sources there because, uh, <laughs> and again hey and honestly though that's part that's part of this and sometimes you will see contradictory sources on these kinds of on these kinds of things yeah yep so he ended up only serving nine years. He was initially sentenced to like life, and then that got cut, cut down to like twenty years. And then he ended up only serving nine years for the for the murder. So it's a premeditated, essentially first degree murder, and he ended up only serving nine years, partly even because of public sentiment saying like we don't like Robert Ford. We're not. We're okay right. that he killed him. Completely understandable that you would want to murder this guy. <laughs> and so he just served nine years, and then was released. I have a couple things. A couple little notes on Wood Height, who uh, is Jeremy Renner's character in the movie. He was also a uh, Civil War Confederacy veteran, just like just like Frank James was. He joined the James Gang in 1876. So even though in the movie it's kind of well, I guess they don't really say. Basically, everyone in the movie had been in the James Gang longer than the Fords, but like at that point in time, everyone that was in the gang was a relatively new member because this was all post the Northfield shooting. So these aren't like the guys from the heyday. This is like the scraps that Frank and Jesse are able to get as far as criminals to be in their gang after they're like on the run and in hiding. Um, So that's when, that's when Wood Height joins the gang. He was a cousin to uh, the James brothers. The shooting, as far as we can tell, is pretty accurate as far as it did happen in the house. Dick Little was shot in the leg, Wood Height was shot in the arm, you know, all of their rounds were fired, and then he was ultimately killed by a gunshot to the head. Then they then uh, kind of bury him in this shallow grave that isn't actually discovered until several months later um, in the spring. So not like we see in the film where they just kind of dump him. They, they, they didn't even bury him, really. In the, they kept some snow over him, essentially, right, was all they did in the film? Yeah, I think, I think it was kind of more of a shallow grave situation. Okay, I don't yeah. know if it was as careless as just kicking, yeah, kicking snow. Yeah, so... Both Ford and Little surrendered to Sheriff Timberlake for the murder of Wood Height. And Ford actually, and they didn't show this in the movie, but he actually did stand trial for Wood Height's murder. Oh, yeah. But yeah. was acquitted. Um, and then also, I just have a few quick notes on Ed Miller, who is the Garrett Dillahunt character, who is also a real um, a, yes. a real historical figure. Yeah, there's almost too many to mention all of them all, but yeah, yeah. Man, that's another awesome scene, both. Yes performance wise and cinematography wise the tension there the kind of jesse james interrogation of ed miller it's almost tarantino it's almost like something that oh my uh, god glorious bastards (laughs) yeah it's so tense and jesse james is the whole time he's like smiling and being super polite but there's just like 
this like menacing darkness where it's like, man, he is like Ed Miller is in trouble. <laughs> but you also kind of get Jesse's point of view from it, like, Ed, why are you so nervous to see me? Right. Yeah. This is a problem. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, Ed Miller is real. He was a member of the gang. He was born in 1856, also a Confederate Civil War vet. And he was actually killed by Jesse James in 1881. It's not known for sure. So, in, in the movie, he's killed because it's uh, implied that he is, well, it's not really implied. He was going to turn Jesse in with one of the other gang members for the reward money. That's It's not known 100% why. Some people say, that he was talking too much about a robbery that he participated in 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 1872 where they robbed the Kansas City Fair. There was also a possibility that he was being a loudmouth and blabbed to a marshal about an upcoming robbery that the gang was getting ready to do. So it's there's a bunch of different reasons why Jesse James could have killed Ed Miller, but as far as the basic fact that Ed Miller was murdered by Jesse James in 1881, that is accurate. Right. Although... I saw on Wikipedia, and it said citation needed, but according to the family of Ed Miller, he actually survived the murder attempt and then, like, faked his death and escaped hmm. and, like, lived out the rest of his days in Kentucky. But I don't think that that's, like, a... that that's something that historians think is true. I think that it's... Right, right. It's pretty accepted that he was murdered in 1881. Well, and that's something I feel like I've heard a lot before. Is, isn't there a lot of rumors and speculation that Jesse James wasn't even actually assassinated by Robert Ford? Like, it's not, considered, it's not considered accurate, but it's like there's, there's uh, basically conspiracy theories, right? Yes. Yeah. Just like, just like with uh, Old Henry and like Billy the Kid, any of these like old time, like Old West, you know, high profile people that are killed or die. There's all like there's almost always conspiracy theories or like alternative history theories of like, oh, no, they just faked their death or that was somebody pretending to be them or, you know, something like that. Even not not to get like super off track, but even like there's conspiracy theories about how like JonBenet Ramsey from like the 90s, like that she wasn't actually murdered. The end that, you know, like there's people that think that like Katy Perry is actually JonBenet Ramsey. <laughs> <laughs> But it, it, you know, that's that's a that's a common a common thing in these uh, okay. in these high profile homicides. I was just thinking I've seen even seen like you know back on like History Channel stuff where they're even doing like DNA tests and trying to figure out like okay is the person buried in Jesse James's grave actually Jeff, Jesse James based on DNA relatives and blah blah. blah. And again, yeah, I'm not saying I buy into it. I'm just saying that it, it's been it's been uh, studied extensively too to kind of see if there's any truth to any of this. But yeah, I don't yeah I don't think anything's come of it obviously yeah i would just I kind of like talking about states in general here so nothing too exciting about missouri like kind of what makes it special historically from our point of view here in just studying american history is its role as the frontier before and after the civil or probably more before the civil war so obviously missouri was part of the louisiana purchase um and then after louisiana became a state they actually renamed the rest of the louisiana territory the Missouri Territory, because it'd be confusing to have territories mm. almost like precursors to states. So it becomes right. the Missouri Territory after Louisiana becomes a state. And we've mentioned lots of other things, you know, happening in then that that territory. Missouri then was this launching point for all the Western ex- exploration. Lewis and Clark, you know, are launching out of there. The Oregon Trail starts in Missouri. Like 
all these yep. things were kind of Missouri was kind of this western hub, which kind of might make sense if you're thinking St. Louis gateway to the west, putting up the arch right. in the 1960s. Like it really was the gateway to the west. Yeah, in the 19th century. Obviously, we've discussed the issues of its status. You know, as a slave state, uh, we get the Missouri Compromise. All when we talked about all the bleeding Kansas stuff. Obviously, that's with a lot of conflicts with Missouri slave supporters. And then, no, Missouri, we didn't really talk a lot about, when we were in the Civil War, about the border states. So, obviously, Missouri was a slave state, but it stayed with the Union. Like, it never actually seceded, like uh, some of those others. But there's others, like, what was it, Kentucky and Maryland, like, all Delaware, like, they all kind of stayed as part of the Union, even if they weren't really excited about it. They basically didn't want to fight the South, but they also didn't want to leave the North. Right. And Missouri was kind of part of that group. And that's actually something that, so, even though there was a very high amount of confederate sympathy in missouri it was like you said it was still a union state even though it was a a slave state so because the james gang or not the james gang but because the james brothers because the family was so well known to be pro-confederacy and to have participated in all these raids they were actually like exiled like booted from their home, from their family mm. farm after the war. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which kind of, yeah. Well, especially they're doing like this, like this guerrilla stuff where they're almost like fighting yeah. their neighbors, essentially. Yeah. And then actually that, that, that I had, do have another note here. It was kind of interesting as you were going through that, how essentially then their initial criminal dealings were almost just an extension of their civil war raids. And they just kind of took that, those same tactics of these guerrilla raids on union positions or you know union supporters and just made that trains and banks and stuff instead where it's this it, it, i, I right. feel like there was a uh commonality there yeah and then uh after the war in missouri that's when st louis and kansas city both kind of boom like uh, for example like this this one was crazy like just from 1865 to 1870 so in that five-year window the population of kansas city grew almost tenfold from like around 3,000 to 30,000 in just a five-year yeah, window. Which is crazy. And then Joplin uh, down in southwest Missouri also then boomed when iron ore was discovered uh, mm. right nearby town there in the 1870s. So, And then from there, yeah, you just, it's just kind of then Missouri is, it doesn't necessarily stand out from other places around the country as far as just how we were all growing heading into the 20th century. And then I had another note here. We've always talked about how in the 19th century, obviously, it would be so easy to just disappear and become someone else or, you know, fake fake your death. Like you were even talking about some of those rumors there with Ed Miller. But why did Robert Ford not go by a different name and go into hiding? Open a bar in Colorado as a different name. No one's going to know you're Robert Ford, right? I don't I don't understand why he wouldn't change his name. I don't know. I wonder if it's maybe kind of like the whole thing about like... He's going to help himself? Well, like that... Or, like, any press is good press. So, like, yeah. even if people are only coming to their bar because they hate you, at least they're coming to your bar and spending money on your booze. You know what I mean? Man. No, I mean, that, that's a good point. But, man, the, the he's, after the assassination attempt where someone tries to slit his throat in Kansas City, it's like... Yeah, I don't know. <sighs> but at the same time, I guess at some point, maybe you just don't even value your own life to some extent. Like, you kind of know this is the risk, and I'm just willing to accept it as the, quote, the literal price of doing business. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. Maybe he was just trying to capitalize, kind of, you know, heal for a lack of a, a better term. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, just trying to 
ride the fame no matter if it was you know fame or infamy just to hmm. just to make some some money that'd be my guess that's rough and again we don't we didn't mention he's basically 30 years old when he's killed like it's yeah see that's another thing too he was basically like a dumb kid the whole this whole yeah. time yeah it's a little misleading in the movie because casey well so how old is casey affleck casey affleck's like my age i was thinking so like he's i feel he's about 10 years he's probably about 30 in this movie i find a guess right so he was born in 1975 so in the movie he's 32 he's 32 playing mostly 19 or 20 playing a 19 year old yeah at the end he's the right age right Right. so he has he has a young looking face but it's still kind of misleading right you know think Think of, like, if you know a 19-year-old. Is that person <laughs> equipped to be making decisions about, like, murdering people? And, <laughs> you know, and then, like, how to how to best set up their life afterwards? Like, no. <laughs> right, right. So I, maybe, maybe a lot of that could be attributed to just the fact that he was just a dumb kid. He was a 19-year-old kid. And then, yeah, and then the last thing was just the cast. Like, I had forgotten Jeremy Renner was even in this movie because this is yeah. before The Hurt Locker. yeah. And Zoe Deschanel is like the yes. minor little bit character as Robert Ford's girlfriend for like the last five minutes of the movie. Right, right. And now she's like a you know she's like a, a, a this huge like TV star from New Girl. <laughs> right, right. No, and Sam Rockwell obviously we're massive yep. fans of. And yep, yeah, Brad Pitt, Sam Shepard. Right, Mary Louise Parker. You Mary mentioned. Louise Parker. Yeah. 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 Well, even who plays Ed Miller? Even him. I, even him. I recognize. Uh, yeah. Garrett Dillahunt. Yeah. And I don't know what else, what you would... Oh, he's in 12 Years a Slave. Oh, I recognize him for Deadwood. Okay. Well, shoot, I think he's the guy that kills uh, Bob Hickok in Deadwood. Uh, I I don't know. Okay, yeah, anyway. Uh, and then it also says he's in No Country for Old Men there. Um, oh, I recognize him from Winter's Bone. Mm, okay, okay. But yeah, great cast. Yeah, and the, and the director, uh, Andrew Dominic. Not someone I'm super familiar with, but he's definitely been working. It says he did like the Marilyn Monroe movie with Honored Armas recently. Which I, I haven't seen, but I have seen, I think he did Killing Them Softly too, right? Which is another Correct. Brad Pitt flick that I really like, yeah. that I think is also, much like this movie, criminally underrated. Okay, and actually, I don't think I ever ever even got around to seeing that one. Um, but I, I was interested when it came out at the time. And I just kind of, sometimes if I don't see them the year they come out, I don't always get around to them afterwards. It's solid. It's a 70, okay, 74, it's a 44% audience score, but 74 critic score and certified fresh from the, on the critic side. Gotcha. Gotcha. But that, uh, that also might've been part of my, uh, delay in, uh, getting to it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that sums up, uh, the world of Jesse James in the reconstruction era there. And next week or next time we will be getting to uh, an HBO film that we hadn't really heard of before, but sounds pretty interesting. And as I'm saying this, we have not watched it yet. So I'm looking forward to bury my heart at wounded knee and a quick call to action. If you want to help us out. Go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you can leave us a review and leave us a five-star review, please. And or share this podcast with a friend you think might like it. And don't hesitate to reach out to us with any questions, comments, or concerns. You can email me at simmons at tracknerds.com. <laughs>